This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. We're just two days away from the 2012 tax deadline. We have a bonus for all you last-minute filers, tips from financial guru Gordon Pape on how to get the most out of your return. Plus, where do the best chefs in the world go when they want a good meal out? That's the question that led food writer Joe Warwick to create the book, Where Chefs Eat. He'll tell us what he learned from the chefs who contributed to the project and what Toronto restaurants made the cut. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. It seems many Americans are not preparing for their older years. A new poll by the Center for Public Affairs Research suggests two-thirds of people over 40 have done little or no planning for any long-term care they might need as they age. In fact, 3 in 10 would rather not think about getting older at all. And only a quarter predict it's very likely that they'll need help getting around or caring for themselves during their elder years. These findings are a surprise considering the same poll also found more than half of the 40-plus crowd already have been caregivers for an impaired relative or friend. It's an idea that's not going over well with snowbirds. The U.S. Department of Homeland Security's budget requests a study to determine the feasibility of collecting a fee from Canadians when they visit the U.S., Whether this fee would focus on those entering or exiting and how much each crossing might cost is yet to be determined. Critics predict it would reduce the number of Canadians who cross the border to shop or for other short activities. And they also say there are already enough fees for Canadian citizens entering America. How many drugs has your doctor prescribed for you to take? According to experts in drug policy and pharmaceutical sciences, Canadians are over-medicated because their doctors underestimate the risks of pharmaceutical drugs or prescribed doses that are too high. Alan Castles is a pharmaceutical policy researcher at the University of Victoria. He says a wide range of drugs, including cholesterol-lowering statins, proton pump inhibitors for heartburn, and testosterone gels are routinely overused. And finally, the actor who played the wise and wise-cracking psychiatrist on the TV series MASH passed away earlier this week. Alan Arbus played Dr. Sidney Friedman on a dozen episodes of the series between 1973 and 1983. Here he is at the weekly poker game with series star Alan Alda. Sidney, what's the psychiatric basis for gambling? Sex. Why? I don't know. They told me to say it. Sex is why we gamble, sex is why we drink, sex is why we give birth. Thank you, doctor. I'm taking a $5 chip. That was a house call. 
Arbus didn't begin acting until his 40s. Born in New York, he had a successful career as a fashion photographer. After the Second World War, he started a studio with his then-wife, Diane Arbus. She would go on to become one of the most renowned art photographers of the 20th century. Alan Arbus died of congestive heart failure. He was 95. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. As the saying goes, it's the only thing that's as inevitable as death. The 2012 tax deadline is Midnight Tuesday, and for last-minute tips, I reached personal finance guru and Zoomer magazine columnist Gordon Pape. Just a couple of points that uh, I might want to zero in on here. Number one is the medical tax credit. There's uh, a lot of medical expenses that I think many people perhaps miss. They aren't aware that they're eligible to claim these, and uh, so they they overlook them. And I'm thinking of things like travel insurance. You know, for example, a lot of um, Zoomers go uh, south in the winter for uh, various lengths of stay, and uh, they take travel insurance. Sometimes it's very costly. Well, many don't realize that that's actually tax deductible. It's a, uh, a health insurance premium, and any private health insurance premiums that you pay are indeed eligible for the uh, the medical uh, tax credit. So uh, that's certainly one that's worthwhile looking at. And it's also you can claim if you need paramedical stuff like uh, physiotherapy or chiropractic or that kind of thing. Exactly. Eyeglasses, hearing aids, hearing aid batteries, for example. Uh, people may not be claiming those. Uh, incontinence products or another thing. Thing that um, you can claim. There's a, a very long list on the CRA website. How does the credit work? It has to come to 3% of your taxable income or something like that? It's either 3% or a maximum of $2,109 that cannot be claimed. Another one that sometimes people overlook is uh, carrying charges. Uh, there's a lot of expenses that are associated with investing that can be deducted under this category, and they might include interest you pay on investment loans, uh, investment counsel advice for non-registered accounts, uh, accounting fees that uh, you have to pay in relation to uh, reporting investment income, uh, payroll deductions for buying Canada savings bonds, uh, mortgage interest paid on your behalf by real estate limited partnerships. There's, There's a lot of stuff that comes under carrying charges, and it can sometimes add up to a fair amount of money. And uh, that's an actual tax deduction as opposed to a tax credit. In your piece in this month's uh, Zoomer magazine, you were saying uh, that what drives you crazy is the complexity of the tax system. And I guess uh, people by now understand that every different type of income, and Zoomers would typically have more than one kind of income, is taxed differently. Yeah, every every kind of investment income that you receive is taxed differently uh, Dividends are taxed uh, in one way, um, depending on the source of the dividends. If uh, and even, <laughs> I mean, the, the irony of this, Libby, is that even a dividend is not necessarily a dividend uh, for tax purposes. For example, if it comes from a U.S. company, uh, it's considered to be just ordinary income. If it comes from a private Canadian company, it's eligible for one type of dividend tax credit. If it comes from a publicly traded uh, Canadian company, it's eligible for a different kind of dividend. I guess another really important point, you know, a lot of people who don't make a lot of money think, oh, I don't need to bother filing my taxes, but you are eligible for a lot of credits that you will not get unless you file. That's right. And uh, many people overlook this, and not only Zoomers, but, you know, some of our listeners may have um, 
children or grandchildren that are in university and uh, perhaps not making very much money, they might be eligible for things like the refundable GST, HST credit. But if they don't file a tax return, they're not going to get it. You can also transfer credits from people who um, don't otherwise have enough income to claim them. And things of that nature would be the disability credit, the education credit. There are several transferable credits that you can use. So uh, all in all, anything else that people should remember as the clock ticks down? Well, <laughs> number one, file file before the uh, the last stroke of midnight on April the 30th. It's uh, especially important if you owe the government any money, because even if you don't have the money available to pay them immediately, if you file on time, you're not going to get dinged with a late filing penalty. The penalty is 5%. That's the late filing penalty. That's right, exactly. Okay. Well, I hope that's helpful to our listeners. And um, now I've got my tax form sitting right in front of me on my computer, and I'm going to go and complete it. I'm surprised you've left it to the last minute. I've left it to the last minute because I keep getting these late uh, T3 and T5 slips coming in. Okay. Gordon Pape, thank you so much. Okay, Libby. Take care. You can find more tax advice from Gordon Pape in the current issue of Zoomer magazine. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. You might have your favorite local restaurants, but do you know where the chefs go when they want a perfect meal? We'll find out in just a moment with Joe Warwick, the food writer behind the book, Where Chefs Eat. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. My next guest has some very useful information as we head into the summer travel season. It's billed as the ultimate insider's guide to the best places to eat all around the world. Joe Warwick is the food critic for The Guardian newspaper in London. He made a splash with his annual list of the world's 50 best restaurants. Now he's back with Where Chefs Eat, a listing of 2,500 restaurants recommended by 450 chefs the world over. In the uh, the publicity for the book, you're saying, you know, why rely on a guidebook by so-called mystery experts? Well, I, I think there's something very interesting about asking chefs for recommendations. Chefs are really tied into the restaurant scene in their city and their region in the way that other people aren't. If you're looking at things like TripAdvisor and Yelp and all of that, yeah, it's good. You know, user-generated content, it's the way everything's going. But but who are these people that are writing these reviews? You know, you're looking for a reliable voice. If you're a chef, your reputation's about your food. So if you're going to put your name on a restaurant and send someone to a restaurant and it's no good, it's it's almost the same as giving them a bad meal. So I think, it, it you know, the fact that the chefs are putting their names to these places, you know, makes it makes it mean something. I was probably referring to guides like Fodor's or Michelin. Right. Uh, so is, is, is this type of a guide a little more off the beaten path than what you would find there? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's much quirkier places. I don't say there's 2,500 restaurants because some of them aren't. I mean, we've got herring wagons in Stockholm. We've got hot dog stands. There's a place in Istanbul that does this thing called a wet burger, wet burger being a burger that they steam in this chili oil for about six hours. So it's, you know, Michelin, Fodor's, all those things are great. Um, but, but this, I think there's a lot of places in this guide that you won't find any other guide. I mean, chefs are particularly – eating late at night in cities is hard. But if anyone knows where to eat late at night in the city, it's a chef. Still, where have you eaten here? I, I've been trying to sort of check out places that are in the book to see if, you know, <laughs> if we're getting the right places. I went to a great place yesterday called the Starfish um, Oyster Bar. Yes. Which was fantastic. 
I went to the, of course, Daniel Ballou, who's just opened there. Um, I, I checked that out. Last night, I was out in the countryside at Langdon Hall. This is the first time I've been in Canada, the first time I've been in Toronto. I've been out. I think there's a good standard here in the city. You know, if you look at the list for Toronto, it, it wouldn't be what most people think of as the best restaurants yeah. in Toronto. Well, I mean, that's it? the thing. It's not meant to be the best. So, you know, the, the, this, I've just come this morning. I had breakfast. I'm staying at the Drake Hotel. So their corner cafes listed there for breakfast. It's a great place for breakfast. Um, so, yeah, it's not meant to be a list of those gastronomic destinations. There's some of those in the guide because we also asked the chefs to pick the place that they wish they'd opened. And that ended up being places like Noma and Copenhagen, you know, which is the mm-hmm. world's best restaurant, and Moguritz and the French Laundry and all those places people know about. But beyond that, the bulk of the book is is quirky little places like that. Okay. Uh, well, um, our audience are what we call Zoomers, people of a certain age, and they travel a lot, <laughs> love to eat. You're from London. So what are some of the places in London that are recommended here? Oh, there's loads of places. I mean, yeah, the London section's strong. You'd hope it's strong since that's where I live and review. Uh, I mean, the place, you know, people say, oh, what's your favorite restaurant? And again, I sort of step back from saying my favorite. The place that I eat most often that's in that book is called Hereford Road, uh, which is, I suppose you'd call it modern British. Uh, it's a chef that used to work at a restaurant called St. John, which is very famous for doing this nose to tell eating. So that's a lot of game in season, a lot of offal. Do you call it offal here or do you call it organ meat? Uh, I think both. Okay. I, I call it offal. You call it organ meat. But yeah, a lot of that, that kind of thing, really hearty, seasonal British food, really well priced. And I, and I go there really regularly. That's one of my favorites. There's Tyabs, is a very famous place in the East End of London that just does the most incredible dry curry, uh, lamb chops. So places like that, you know, there's a whole sort of mix. New York? What I love about New York, we were talking about the late night thing. I think it's very, it's a lot easier anywhere than anywhere else to eat well late at night in New York. Um, it's Blue Ribbon Sushi's open until two in the morning. And every time I go to New York, I eat there. That's in there for late night choice. Who are some of the Canadian chefs you consulted? Uh, we've got Claudio April. We've got Michael Stay, Chris McDonald, Paul Newman. Interesting. People keep asking me, you know, how many of these have you been to? And I think, mm-hmm. I, I, think I worked it out at about 10 to 15 percent. I'm working on it. It's going <laughs> to be a really hard year. Um, <laughs> oh, I feel terrible <laughs> yeah, for I know, you. <laughs> I know. It's like coal mining. It's terrible. One of the things that I find is not rated enough, and that's a huge pet peeve and also something we have a campaign about here, is noise level in restaurants. <laughs> I'm not interested in going out if I can't talk to the person or the people that I'm with. And it seems like the thing now is to make them as loud as possible (laughs) with music and, and, you know, no floor coverings. and, And, you know, I don't care. I mean, I've got a friend who reviews restaurants and goes out with a decibel reader and puts the decibel <laughs> reading on his reviews. Um, I mean, it's interesting. It's a trend thing with restaurant design. Old-fashioned fine dining restaurants that have carpets in it, and people would say, you know, the sort of restaurants where you go in and everyone whispers. Mm. And, you know, that's the other extreme. So the easiest way to create an atmosphere in a restaurant is to rip up the carpet, expose floorboards or tiles, you know, high ceilings music. Mm-hmm. But it does get to the point where it does just get really loud. And, and yeah... It, I, I go to places sometimes and you know, you're struggling to have a conversation. But that's what the young people like, apparently. That's what they want. Restaurants have got noisier, and that's this new casual style of places. But, you know, good restaurateurs have got to pay attention to acoustics. It, it's okay having someone that's lively, but there's a thin line between someone being lively and it being uncomfortable and you having to scream. And, you know, everyone shouts more, and it just does end up being, you know, uncomfortable to sit in. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's a fashion. It'll go away again. 
One can only hope. Joe Warwick was in town for the terroir symposium sponsored by All the Best Foods. Where Chefs Eat, a guide to chefs' favorite restaurants, is published by Faden Press and is available in bookstores now. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. If you've ever looked up That's the rich baritone voice of country singer George Jones, who passed away at the age of 81 this Friday. In just a moment, we'll pay tribute to him and hear one of his biggest hits. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. It's time for your international arts date book tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. In New York City, it's the first Broadway revival of the Tony Award-winning 1972 pop musical Pippin. Tony Award-nominated director Diane Paulus and circus artist Gypsy Snyder have re-envisioned the coming-of-age musical in a circus tent at the Music Box Theater. The show opened just a few days ago. To the Windy City, where composer Sean Decker's exhibition Prairie creates the dynamic rhythms of grasslands and the rich soundscapes of insects, wind, and rain. It's on till May 5th at the Chicago Cultural Center. In London, England, it's the Roaring Twenties, and silent movie stars are the biggest names in the world. Based on Gene Kelly's starring role in the 1952 film version Singing in the Rain is at London's Palace Theatre. I'm Jane Brown, and that's your International Arts Date Book. Imagine a world where no music This week, we said goodbye to George Jones, the peerless, hard-driving country singer who recorded dozens of hits and had a career that spanned more than 50 years. Known for his clenched, precise baritone, Jones had number one songs in five separate decades, the 1950s to the 1990s, and he was idolized not just by fellow country singers, but by Frank Sinatra, Pete Townsend, Elvis Costello, James Taylor, and others. He was nicknamed Possum for his facial features that resembled the animal. Possum recorded more than 150 albums and became the champion and symbol of traditional country music. Right now, we'll hear George Jones' biggest hit, the country ballad, He Stopped Loving Her Today. He said, I'll love you till I die. She told him you'll forget in time. As the years went slowly by She still prayed upon his mind He kept her picture on his wall Went half crazy now and then But he still loved her through it all Hoping she'd come back again Kept some letters by his bed 
That was the beautiful baritone voice of country singer George Jones. He passed away this week at the age of 81. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Please come back next week when we talk etiquette with Charles McPherson, author of The Butler Speaks. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Nyman. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program director, John Vandriel. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network. Home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.